Welcome to Candid Catholic Convos, a program brought to you by the Catholic Diocese of Harrisburg. Our mission is to humanize the church and help you to grow in your faith, love, and understanding. I'm your host, Rachel Trochet, a cradle Catholic who's only human and struggled with faith on more than one occasion. Each week, you'll hear engaging, down-to-earth interviews and actionable strategies you can implement into your life with ease to help you grow closer to God. If you're ready to open your heart and step fully into the person God created you to be, then you're in the right place. Let's get started. Hello, and thank you for joining me on another episode of Candid Catholic Convos. This episode is part four of our new series focusing on the Eucharistic Revival, and every couple weeks, you'll get to hear another episode with more interesting facts and experiences. Now, if you're listening to this wondering, what is a Eucharistic Revival? Don't worry, you're not alone. The Eucharistic Revival is a nationwide grassroots initiative by the USCCB and Catholics to restore understanding and devotion to the great mystery of the Eucharist. If you've seen the news or ventured out into your community, it's easy to see that the world is hurting. We need healing. We need hope. We need strength. And the Eucharist offers all of that. This national response to the Lord's call began on June 19th, 2022, the Feast of Corpus Christi, and will continue all the way until Pentecost 2025. There's a ton of great info and resources on EucharisticRevival.org, but today we're going to be talking about how you, right here, right now, can fall deeply in love with the Eucharist. If you have any questions about the Eucharist you would like to have answered by one of our priests, be sure to send us a message on social media or our website, and we'll try to get it answered throughout the series. Today, we're chatting with Father Joshua Brommer of the Cathedral Parish of St. Patrick in Harrisburg about the tradition and mystery of 40 Hours Devotions. Father Brommer, thank you so much for joining me today. I'm really excited to have you on the program. Could you start by just telling me a little bit about yourself? I'm very happy to be here as well. I am the pastor of the Cathedral Parish of St. Patrick in Harrisburg and the director of the Office for Divine Worship here at the diocese. I've been a priest for 16 years, and uh, I am happy to serve the people of the diocese and to, to exercise especially uh, a role in, in the liturgical life of the diocese to, to teach and to help form those who are desiring to grow closer to Christ as he comes to us through the sacred liturgy. That's really awesome. So have you kind of always wanted to be a priest or is this something that you came to later? Sure. I I've, I felt the call to be a priest very early on in life. Uh, it, by seventh grade, I was absolutely certain that this is what God was calling me to. And it was a, one of those unique experiences that happened in prayer that I was, uh, I was praying and, and I felt this intense call that this is what I was meant to be. And uh, I remember kneeling down, having some, for some reason, I had the presence of mind to be able to say to the Lord, I know this is going to be hard. I know this is what you want from me. But if you promise to help me, I promise to do my best. And so since seventh grade, I've sort of had my mind and my heart fixed on accomplishing what I think is God's will for my life, and that's to serve him as a priest. That is incredible to have such awareness at like, 12, 13, 14 years old. That's pretty awesome. It's an, it is. A, it's a unique, I think, experience for, for many. So, Oh, absolutely. So speaking of unique experiences, I've heard people talk about having a truly transformative experience when they receive the Eucharist at some point in their lives. 
Have you ever had an experience with the Eucharist that you would say changed you? When I was growing up, our parish was a part of our ordinary family life. Uh, we weren't fanatical Catholics. We were faithful Catholics. And so not only was the parish and the school a part of our Sunday worship and daily living, uh, but we also attended all of the extras that happened in the parish as well, both the social events and a lot of the religious events. And one of my earliest memories, and it has to be somewhere before I was even maybe in school, I remember my mom and my sister getting ready and they were saying, we're going to 40 hours. And I thought 40 hours was some kind of party happening at the parish because my mom had made Rice Krispies treats. And I thought, well, if we're going to have Rice Krispies, I got to be, you know, this has got to be some sort of party. And uh, so all the way there, driving there, my sister was giving me dutiful instructions. She's older than I, and she was very clear. Uh, when you get there, you have to kneel down on two knees and uh, you have to be very quiet. And they were going through all of these instructions which seemed odd since I thought I was going to a party. Like, why would this be happening? And then we walked into the church, St. Peter's in Columbia. And as I walked in, the church was dimly lit, but on the altar was the monstrance and ablaze a with candles. And there was a smell of incense in the air. And for a young child that impressed itself so deeply on my mind and my heart that to this day I can still see what I saw as a, at that day. And I remember not having to struggle to fall to my knees. And I remember there being my probably my first experience of God in that moment. So for me, as, as ordinary as the life of the Eucharist is for my, my, my priestly life, celebrating Mass each day, uh, bringing Holy Communion to the sick, it's rooted in this initial experience that I had of Christ present, even before I even knew Christ was present, and uh, the divine truly being manifested through Eucharistic adoration. So well, it's one of the, the instances I often point back to when I tell people, you don't know what your children are experiencing. You don't know what God is doing when you bring your children to church. And so to bring your child to church to give them the experience of prayer, to give them the experience of worship is so necessary because it can be a moment like that that can completely open up an individual to God's life and God's love for the rest of his or her life. That's incredible. And it's very, it touches on the the point of God makes the ordinary extraordinary. And, and like you said, like, especially as a parent myself, sometimes I find it hard to bring my, my little wriggly three-year-old to mass because he just wants to run around in the narthex but it, it is so important that our children are there to experience it because you're, you're right we don't know what they're getting out of it versus what we're getting out of it one spiritual author describes the grace of the eucharist like the sun shining on us that we aren't even aware sometimes that we're being sunburnt and it's happening in in such a way and we're just basking in the glow and and, and the fullness of god's grace and he's filling us, he's changing us, and he's touching our, our souls in a way that we can't even imagine. And I think that's especially true for children, that children have an access to God that's unique from adults has got to be something we, we can't forget because there's, they're not filtering everything through the mess of adulthood. Mm. They're, everything is innocent, open, and in many cases, new. 
And to give children the experience of prayer and the Eucharist and of Holy Mass is one of the great gifts that we, we can't deny them because that could, that could be the most significant moment in their entire lives that, that gives them the trajectory that will lead them closer to the Lord and to the church. Absolutely. And, and you are a case in point. That is very, very awesome. When I was young, I was kind of like you were. When I first learned about 40 hours, I initially thought it meant that you had to be in church, awake and praying for 40 hours straight. And I thought, wow, there is no way I can do that. You'd have to be a literal saint. So you can imagine my relief when I learned <laughs> that that's not exactly what it is. Can you explain what a 40 hours devotion is? The core of 40 hours devotion is adoration of the most blessed sacrament over a prolonged period of time. I think in most of our experience in the United States today, and especially in the Diocese of Harrisburg, it is not always 40 continuous hours. We have special chapels all throughout the diocese, adoration chapels that are called perpetual adoration chapels, where adorers come every hour on the hour, and Christ is adored in those, in those places continuously. It's a special and unique gift that we have throughout the diocese to have those chapels. 40 hours, in its essence, is intended to replicate that experience, but on a parish level, and to give the ordinary parishioner who might not have the opportunity in their ordinary course of life to take some time to, even in the middle of the night, to pray to the Lord and, and to be quiet with Christ in, in Eucharistic adoration. Uh, so it has this it has this opportunity for parishioners and a parish community alike to spend an intense period of time in prayer. One of the things that I think is important is that it also is a time of conversion and renewal for the parish family. We've lost a little bit of that, but uh, in in the origin of forty hours, it was rather like a mission or a parish renewal service. Confessions were offered on a regular basis, and so priests would come from all over to provide confessions, perhaps even each night. And one of the ways in which the priests were paid for that service, dutifully coming to hear confessions, is there was a meal for the priests at the end. We've retained the meal for the priests, but sometimes we aren't doing the confession part that, that leads up to that. Uh, so the opportunity for confession, the opportunity for celebrating devotional life and devotional prayer together, the opportunity to gather around and, and listen to God's word as a parish community, and the opportunity for personal, uh, quiet time with the Lord is, is the very core of Eucharistic adoration throughout the 40 hours Eucharistic devotions. Hmm. So that would explain the Rice Krispies. Exactly. That your mom exactly. <laughs> that makes so much more sense. So... Let's talk a little bit more about the Eucharist. In in a lot of other churches, the idea of the Eucharist is con it's considered merely a symbol of Christ, whereas for us, for Catholics, it is truly the presence of Christ. So for those who aren't Catholic or maybe they're in the process of becoming Catholic and receiving the sacraments for the first time, how would you explain to them what the Eucharist and 40 hours is? Sure. I, and it is rooted in what our belief is, that Jesus Christ is truly present body and blood, soul and divinity, uh, under the form, under the, the species of bread and wine, that though our senses experience the taste and the texture, the experience of, of bread and wine, we believe that what has happened is Christ has made himself present there fully. So it's no longer bread, and it's no longer wine, 
And we're very careful in our language not to speak in a casual way and just say, oh, I received bread today or I received wine today. Uh, it's always qualified. We have received the bread of life. We have received the precious blood. Uh, we have received from the cup of, of, of our salvation. And all of that's important. Our language is so important because it expresses that something unique has happened in the midst of the celebration of Mass. If you ever pay attention to the celebration of Mass, you can see there's a moment when the priest will join his hands together and, and they will be uh, facing downward over the chalice and over the paten that has the bread and wine in it. That moment is called the epiclesis. And what we believe is that the bread and the wine are transformed not by human power, not by us just desiring it to become bread, desiring it to become wine, willing it that way, or just believing it that way. It's, it's far more uh, objective than that, that through these rituals, God has promised to send the Spirit to bring about that change so that bread and wine can become the body and blood of Christ. And so for Catholics, it's this fundamental core belief that what is happening there is God's activity God unveiling him, his power to change what is so ordinary into what is extraordinary and miraculous. At the core of, of the distinction between Catholic and, and non-Catholic belief with regard to the real presence, it, it's that objective nature of, of God through the Holy Spirit making Christ present as he promised on the Last Supper, at the Last Supper, to be truly present to us if we would just do this in remembrance of him. Absolutely. And it's such a powerful moment. Like sometimes, you know, you don't really think about that often. Some people, I think, just sometimes I'm guilty of this, of you just get through the mass and you forget that like what's happening is actually something pretty intense. Normal bread and wine actually becoming Christ's body and blood. When I celebrate baptism, and you can't do this with Mass so much, you know, it's not something I would ever do at, at Holy Mass, but when I celebrate baptism, right after I have poured the water over the child's head and I've said, I baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, I stop. And one of the things, I, I look at everyone who's there and I say, through something so simple, an action that's so commonplace, God has done the most extraordinary things. And that's, that's the mystery of how the sacraments work, that through, through those elements that are so ordinary every day, through bread and wine, through oil and uh, through, through water, God is able to do the most extraordinary and miraculous things for humanity. And at the very heart of everything that we believe, the sacraments are God's sure way of coming into contact with us so that we can have his grace, his life, full in our hearts and our souls. And so if we had that opportunity at Mass, I'd love to be able to stop and say, just stop for a moment, everyone, and pause and behold what has happened. That through, through God's promise, by repeating Christ's words and his actions, by calling down the power of the Holy Spirit, what is ordinary bread and wine is no longer, for Christ is with us as he promised, and, and indeed in every generation will be truly with us. It's something we need to maybe marvel at a little better. To, uh, the Holy Father talks about rekindling Eucharistic amazement mm. and wonder. And uh, both Pope John Paul II and uh, Pope Francis 
bring us back to that. We need to rekindle our amazement, our wonder and awe at this great sacrament. Right, right. We talked about this a little bit, but what happens during a traditional 40 hours devotion? Is it just 40 hours of silence? You mentioned it's more like a like a spiritual retreat. So every parish has the opportunity to make it their own. They can, they can take their parish community, their parish uh, prayer and liturgical schedule, and transform that over the course of a few days into an opportunity to truly pray in the presence of Christ in, in his Eucharistic presence. And so there's not a single pattern that is mandated for 40 hours in every parish. So in some parishes, you'll begin at the last Mass on a Sunday with solemn exposition of the Blessed Sacrament. That's when the host that has been consecrated at that Mass is placed in the monstrance. And the monstrance is that beautiful, usually golden, and uh, sometimes other precious metals and precious gems, that, uh, that object that is used to show the body of Christ. So when we talk about exposition of the Blessed Sacrament, it means exposing the host as we can see it with our own eyes in this monstrance, usually right in the core, the center of it, uh, and gives us that opportunity to be able to draw near to Christ to look upon him as he looks upon us. Uh, that is usually the first step of, of any parish's 40 hours, to expose the Blessed Sacrament at their last Sunday Mass. And then it begins a period of quiet time, typically, that parishioners would sign up for half-hour or hour slots to be present so that the Lord is always attended to. You remember what happened uh, the night before Jesus dies. He goes off and he tells the apostles, stay here, watch and pray. And he comes back and they've fallen asleep. Right. So what we want to do is we want to make sure that someone's actually doing what he told us to do. So we stay and we keep watch and we pray. And that be, that's the core action of the entire 40 hours. When it first began, and in, in, indeed in some parishes still to this day, uh, even in our own diocese, it was 40 continuous hours of adoration. And so that it began with the exposition of the Blessed Sacrament. And for three days straight, there was a continuous opportunity to adore Christ for 40 hours. Uh, it's a, it rekindles the, the memory of Christ when he was spent 40 hours in the tomb. And so it takes us back to the Easter mystery. Uh, it also rekindles that, that number 40, which is so significant in the, in the life of, of the church. Uh, but we can get maybe into that a little later. Uh, in most parishes, each evening there would be an opportunity to gather either for evening prayer or for a, a celebration of the Word of God. We call it the Liturgy of the Word. And Scripture would be read. And in both cases, typically a priest or a deacon is invited to preach. And their, their role there is to preach on the, on the Holy Eucharist in such a way as to stir us back up into deep faith and devotion. And so priests are invited, deacons are invited to share their own personal reflections and to call the parish back to Eucharistic faith. We know in our daily lives, we can get very sleepy at times. And, and we do indeed fall asleep in our, in our spiritual life from time to time. So the purpose of the 40 hours devotion in a parish is to wake us up and to stir us back into devotion 
and to love for Christ and for his true presence in our midst. So each of those evenings would be marked by a special preaching. That's unlike a Sunday homily. It's something that's maybe a little longer. Yeah, a little, maybe the priest is already preaching too long as it is, but uh, it's usually something a little longer, a little more intense and focused on what we believe as Christ truly present. And it's filled with those examples, those opportunities for us to grow, grow closer to Christ. In some parishes, each evening that concludes adoration, and there's not adoration through the night. In other places, there is the possibility of adoring the Lord through the night. And people sign up, and they have a secure door that they enter. And so every hour on the hour, someone is there to, or, or two adorers are there to be able to adore Christ. That culminates in the final evening uh, when there's a, a large liturgical celebration and hopefully also a large parish celebration. That as a, as a, a parish, we gather together and we, we sing the Lord's praises. The, the final homily is preached. Uh, we, we rejoice. And then benediction of the most blessed sacrament occurs typically on uh, that last night, if it hasn't occurred uh, each night, which is a possibility as well. And benediction is when we lift the monstrance and make the sign of the cross over those who are present and bless everyone with the body of Christ. It's one of the most solemn forms of blessing that the church has to bless us with the true presence of Christ. And each night that is one of the, the, the great opportunities, but especially on the last night, it's, it's the, the solemn conclusion of, of the 40 hours devotions. That's pretty cool. And it's, it's, Again, going back to the making the ordinary absolutely extraordinary, just taking several hours to be in the presence of Christ and really like reignite that spark. That's pretty cool. It's one of the most needed things right now. I think when you think about human relationships, it's the little things that keep us, keep the spark alive, you mm -hmm. know. Uh, between a, a, a husband and a wife, it's it's the unexpected flowers. It's the the nice little note that's left. It's the the text that says "I love you" when nothing was expected. Uh, that help keep this the spark of love and tenderness and affection alive. Our relationship with God is very much like that. We need to be able to have those little things that give us an opportunity to express our love and our affection for the Lord who is present to us and with us through the Holy Eucharist on a regular basis. When we don't do that, the relationship will falter. When we do that, then we're always sort of ready, ready for whatever the Lord has in store for us. Right. It's a two-way street. Like, we're always asking God for something, but we got to show up for Him Absolutely. as well. Absolutely, yes. So when did this tradition of 40 hours begin in the Catholic Church? Is this relatively new, or is this a, a, a very old practice? We can say with some certainty that we're coming up on 500 years of, of the 40 hours devotion. Oh, wow. Although there is some evidence that it has existed or did exist in some places as early as the 12th or the 13th century. Uh, it was a part of medieval piety. Uh, but it's definitely in the 1500s, the early 1500s, especially in the Archdiocese of Milan in Italy, where this devotion seems to have originated. And we have... Uh, evidence of letters being written to the Holy Father asking for special blessings and indulgences attached to the 40 hours devotion. So we look at 
the 1500s is probably the very core place where this was happening. It was driven by this desire to enter into a state of reparation and penance for sins against God, sins against the church, uh, and failures within the church uh, to be able to defend the faith at times. Uh, and so uh, we have these these different services coming about, especially throughout the city of Milan. Uh, and it develops in such a way that even in Rome, the Holy Father, by 1592, proclaims that he wants the, the 40 hours devotion to happen within the city of Rome and to be continuous. So in 1592, the, the Holy Father, Pope Clement VIII, says, I would like this to be one continuous act of adoration so that as one place is concluding their 40 hours, another place is commencing theirs. And so you have this sort of loop that is happening, this constant circle of adoration and love that is, is folding itself all throughout the city of Rome, which is a beautiful and, and wonderful idea. In fact, when it came to the United States and it's St. John Newman who brought this devotion principally to the United States, that was part of the practice, that parishes were scheduled one right after the other every three days or so to be able to have 40 hours in one continuous movement. And we're told that John Newman, as the Bishop of Philadelphia, tried to get to many of those celebrations of 40 hours, whether it was the opening or the closing of the celebrations, so that he could encourage the faithful and, and to be a part of it. When he brought the devotion originally to the United States uh, in, the, in the end of the 1800s, there was a little bit of consternation among the priests. The priests were afraid that it was going to foment a greater uh, persecution of the church that was happening, especially in the, in, the, in the Philadelphia area. This is the time of the know-nothings, when churches were being burnt down and, and the Catholic faith was undergoing a bit of persecution within the city of Philadelphia especially. And so they were afraid that this would draw undue attention to what makes us distinctly Catholic and upset those non-Catholics who already had it in for the church. Uh, but And John Newman heard that, he, he realized that, and he didn't want to do anything to hurt the people. But he had this experience where he fell asleep one evening and he woke up and there was a fire around him. The candle that he was using to read and to write letters had ignited some of the papers on fire. And he woke up and he realized, but as he looked at everything, that he could not hold back. He took that as a sign from God. And so he instituted this 40 hours devotion in the Diocese of Philadelphia, which the, this, the entire Diocese of, of, of Harrisburg had been a part of at that time because we were not yet founded. Uh, and so part of all of our diocese was, was in, that, in that very grassroots origin of, of the adoration of the Blessed Sacrament, 40 hours devotion from the very beginning in the U.S. So we, we go all the way back to even before the diocese existed uh, to see that this is part of who we are as a Catholic people in this diocese. That's pretty cool to know that it it kind of made its origins all the way in Italy and then traveled to the U.S. And then the Diocese of Harrisburg has basically been participating in it since before we were our own diocese. That's really that's really neat. What's the difference between a 40 hours devotion and adoration? Like if we have the one, why do we do the other? 
and a lot of people ask that very question. So I think it's a very fair question because we do not treat 40 hours the way it's intended to be treated. If, if we're truly adoring the Lord for 40 continuous hours uh, and allowing our parish communities to, to find a way to safely and, and to successfully uh, expose the Blessed Sacrament for personal adoration and for uh, communal prayer for a 40-hour 40 peri- 40 period, we would see the distinction very easily that this isn't just a holy hour that we've exposed the Blessed Sacrament for a brief period of time, blessed ourselves, been blessed by the Blessed Sacrament, and, and moved on. This is a period of intense prayer. It's a, it's a period of renewal. It's a period of retreat for the parish, and it's a period of conversion. And so at its very core, 40 hours is meant to be more than just, as I say that with, with quotes around it, more than just Eucharistic adoration. Eucharistic adoration is the most wonderful thing in the world. Uh, but it's more than our experience of just a holy hour. It's meant to be prolonged. And it's meant to push us out of our comfort zone. A good retreat, a good conversion experience, is meant to push us out of our comfort zone, which takes us back to the meaning of 40. In the Bible, sets of 40, the 40 is a significant number because sets of 40 indicate a, a period of testing, of trial, of God doing something for his people or for an individual. We go all the way back uh, to the Israelites. 40 years they spent wandering through the desert in order to get to the holy uh, to the promised land. Uh, Moses spent 40 days and 40 nights on the top of the mountain before he came down with God's law. It was, a, it was a, a moment of encounter that tested and challenged both the Israelites and Moses, and they were sent forth. You have 40 days that Noah is, is in that ark, and, and the flood waters are, are washing clean all of the earth that had turned away from God. You have Jonah in his experience for 40 days he was preaching that the Ninevites had to convert and it was a time of testing and those 40 days come time and again in the Old Testament and they meet their fulfillment in Christ who for 40 days was tempted in the wild in the wilderness by the devil and he came out after prayer and fasting having been victorious over the temptations of the evil one. At the end of those 40 days, something new happens because God's grace brings about renewal. God's grace brings about a new creation. God's grace brings about uh, the next step for uh, a parish's life, for an individual's life. And so 40 is so significant, and we, we don't want to just toss that out. Every, every, uh, every uh, Lent, we have 40 days where we're called to prayer fasting, and almsgiving. And we don't truncate that. We don't cut that down and say, uh, well, we can only get 28 in this year. You know, 40 is significant for us because there's a sacramental quality to numbers as well. And so that number 40 invites us to something that is a, a time of testing, a time of challenge, so that we can be made new by God. So is it easy for a parish to do 40 continuous hours of adoration? No. I've, I've done it before. I, I've, I've done it in, in one of my parishes that I was privileged to be a pastor of. 
that parish had a pre-existing perpetual adoration chapel, and we were able to combine the, the efforts of the adoration chapel with the parish's experiences of 40 hours, so that in the main church for 40 hours straight, we had adoration throughout the night. And it was a, a wonderful experience, a positive experience. And the preacher helped to, to bring about that newness that God's grace was, was indicating during that time. So it's an invitation to try to, to restore what might have been lost through, not indifference, but definitely through practicality sometimes. Sometimes it's not the best thing to always be practical. Sometimes we have to push ourselves to move beyond that and to, and to do something that demands something of us as individuals and as a community. Sure. I forget I forget who said it, but there was a quote that was something like, you know, great things don't come from comfort zones. Mm. You have to step outside your comfort zone a little bit. So like adoration is like the first step. But if you want to take your prayer life to the next level, then 40 hours is something to consider participating in. Sure. And and in no way do we ever want to diminish the the blessing of a holy hour. Oh, I right. Mean, right. I mean, we, we need that. And that should be our ordinary experience of prayer as frequently as we can throughout the week. Most people can't make a holy hour every day, but a lot of people are able to make it once a week or once a month. And, and that's a great source of spiritual nourishment. Uh, but we also need a retreat every year. And uh, this gives that parish, the parish, an opportunity for a retreat. Right. If a wedding or a funeral or other religious occasion occurs in the church, those who aren't Catholic can't receive communion. Does this apply to 40 hours as well, since there's typically a mass at the beginning and a mass at the end? Or can those who aren't Catholic participate? Uh, it, it's it, This is one of those wonderful opportunities because it's not Holy Mass and there's not the reception of Holy Communion that anybody who is a believer in Christ can participate and benefit from. And so I think it's it's not something we would typically do in an ecumenical setting with other Christians who might not believe what we believe as far as our Eucharistic doctrine, uh, but it's not something that we would ever tell people they could not be a part of. It's, it's something that we would invite and allow anyone who is looking for an intense experience of the presence of God to share in. There are all those stories of the saints who have come to the church and have been converted because of uh, the Holy Eucharist. And, and the easiest one to go to is St. Elizabeth Ann Seton, who was in her Episcopalian church and praying to the presence of Christ in the tabernacle in the Catholic church across the street. She knew that there was something true and real, and she wanted to, she wanted to pray to Christ truly present there. She had not yet formally left the Episcopalian Church, and so there was this, this movement happening in her. There was a change happening within her heart and within her mind as well, and it, it was leading her to Christ truly present. I say that because I think these are, these are moments that people who are searching for God, people who especially might not have a spiritual home and are, are searching for an experience of the presence of God, can benefit from in, in a deep and, and, and truly significant way. So I would hope that we would invite to these prayer services that are happening throughout 40 hours, our friends and our neighbors, those who are searching and haven't yet found Christ. This could be the, the, the most significant moment uh, 
And because it is ensconced in the ritual of the church, which is which has a mysterious quality to it, especially with an event like 40 hours that is so solemn, it enables us to sort of be pulled out of our, as you say, comfort zone uh, to, to experience something that isn't man-made, but is surely something that God is, is bringing about in us and through us. So absolutely, non-Catholic Christians are able to participate in, in the Liturgy of the Word and in the evening prayer or the Vesper celebrations that are happening, and even in just the quiet time of adoration if they feel drawn to that as well. That's pretty cool because it reinforces that we do have an open door policy. If you want to come and feel at home with Christ, that he's here, come on in, have a seat and mm-hmm. have a, a chat with him. Absolutely. I, I, most of us pastors, if we're, I experience it on a regular basis because Harrisburg being in the city, just down from the state capitol, it, the cathedral is, is a place that is a high traffic point for travelers. And so we have a lot of non-Catholics who come in. And the first thing that happens when they walk into the cathedral is they, they sort of are taken by the beauty. They, it's unexpected. So they open the doors and the, the church is so well decorated and adorned. And it all points to the faith and devotion of the entire uh, people of God throughout the diocese and throughout our, our diocesan history. And uh, people are taken aback by that. And then they, there's also something else that happens often. They experience the presence, a presence. And I think that having our doors open and allowing people to come in and uh, experience the presence of Christ can change someone's life and, and, and for the better. One of the things I sometimes do is I open up the doors so that through the glass doors, you're able to see the adoration happening at the cathedral when we have holy hours or periods of adoration. Because I want the people walking by on the street to look up and see what I saw in that initial experience I had as a child and be drawn in. And, and that does happen. People come in and they realize something special is here and I want to be a part of it. In the end, we let God do his work and, and we just provide the opportunities for that grace to, to take root and to take place in people's lives. Right. And that's pretty awesome. And the, the cathedral is pretty amazing. If you haven't been there, I highly suggest stopping by because it is absolutely beautiful. So to have adoration there must be even more beautiful. So what are some ways that we can prepare our hearts before going into a 40 hours devotion? I think it's the, the same way we would prepare ourselves for a retreat. It, it's good to have a little bit of a plan. If you're, if you're not used to praying for an hour, which is something, or even just a half hour, that can be a little overwhelming. And so uh, it's good sometimes to have some scripture readings that are available for us to be able to meditate upon and reflect upon. And there are some excellent passages, especially you know in John's Gospel, chapter 6, you have the Bread of Life discourse where Jesus is laying out for his disciples the very teaching that he is the bread of life, and that his flesh is real food and his blood is true drink. And uh, that in, they're wonderful moments of, in, the, in the scriptures to be able to meditate upon and pray on when we're making a holy hour. Sometimes it's making sure you have your rosary and uh, you're ready to pray the rosary and maybe to pray it a little more meditatively than you normally would. So bring some meditations for the rosary as well, or the Divine Mercy Chaplet 
so to have your prayer books are definitely a good way to 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 be able to prepare yourself. I think like any experience of prayer, we also have to figure out a way to decompress and leave the the craziness outside the door and to enter in into a period of restful quiet with the Lord. Sometimes that means arriving a little early and taking a walk around the block and then coming into the church. Uh, sometimes it means leaving all of your devices, as helpful as they sometimes can be, uh, leaving them in the car so that you're not going to be distracted by the text message that you get or, or by the phone call that happens to start buzzing in the middle of your, your prayer as well. Uh, lastly, I think a little bit of study is a good thing all the time. So if you're someone who hasn't had a, a, a deep experience of the, the doctrinal side, the theological side, of what we believe is Jesus truly present in the Eucharist, reading a little bit of the Catechism can be helpful, or uh, some other writings about the, how we believe Jesus is truly present can help before you get into the experience of adoration so that it gives it a, a richer intellectual context, and I think that can be a helpful way as well. Those are all really great tactile tips for getting in that mindset before you walk in the doors. What would you recommend to someone looking to grow more in love with the Eucharist? I think they have to, first and foremost, develop a, a, a rich devotion and love for Mass. The Sunday Mass has got to be more than just the thing we, we check off the list for our obligation on Sunday. It's got to be the very core, or as the, the Second Vatican Council said, the source and the summit of our, of our lives. Right? So the council articulated very clearly that all that the church does flows forth from the Eucharist, and all that the church does uh, pushes us toward the Eucharist. So it's this beautiful double movement that's happening. While the Eucharist itself does not exhaust the entire life of the church and the work of the church, it is the very core, the source of energy, divine energy, divine grace that allows us to be able to do all the things we're supposed to do as the church in our families, in our workplaces, in our neighborhoods, and, and throughout the whole world. And so the first thing we need to do is, as individuals, we need to grow in our devotion for the Sunday Mass and to look forward to that as, as, a, as truly a source for our spiritual life and the inspiration for the whole week. Uh, that's the beginning. And then it in, that includes moments that we should be able to sneak away and spend some time with Jesus. He doesn't need to necessarily be exposed on the altar in a monstrance in a formal way for us to make visits to Christ who is present to us. Uh, the great tradition of the church has people popping in throughout the day and to make a visit to the tabernacle. And it's just a few moments. A lot of our churches can be on the way to or from the workplace or to or from the grocery store or whatever we're doing. If we just take a few moments and stop in and speak to the Lord from our heart, that cultivates a deeper love for his true presence there. Uh, St. Therese used to go up and knock on the tabernacle saying that Jesus was the, the prisoner there and she wanted to speak to her beloved principal, a prisoner there in the, in the tabernacle. I don't think you have to necessarily do that. I think a lot of priests won't want you to do that. Uh, but just stopping in to say hi, to make a visit to the Lord who is waiting for us is, is one of the ways of cultivating that as well. And then finally, I go back to study and prayer. 
I think study and prayer go hand in hand. Prayerfully studying the teachings of the church, prayerfully studying the, the doctrine of the Holy Eucharist is going to be a way in which we can grow in not only our intellectual, but our, our spiritual and an affection uh, for Christ as well in the Eucharist. So I recommend that highly as, as well. Those are all very, very solid tips. So thank you so much for sharing. And thank you for taking the time to sit and chat with us today. I really hope that uh, whoever needs to hear this heard it. And I hope you have a great rest of your Advent and Christmas. Thank you. God bless you. Thank you so much for listening. Our goal at the Diocese of Harrisburg is to walk with you on your faith journey. So if this episode resonated with you in any way, the easiest way to show your appreciation is by sharing this program with your network or by leaving a review on your listening platform. You can also support us financially by making a donation online at hbgdiocese.org slash D-A-C and clicking the make a donation button. Thanks again, and we'll see you at church on Sunday.